why there's no rule book for surfing. By creating a meaningful gesture of benevolence to an organization, group, or even a single person, be it as big as writing a check for a lot of money or as minute as opening a door for a disabled person, you allow yourself the opportunity to evoke meaning and contributions to your own life. These gestures, large or small, complex or simplistic, are the components that allow you to craft your style. The methods, agendas, and whatnot in which your benevolence, strength, humanity, faith, and commitment becomes displayed is your intuitive doorway to your own style. However, this opportunity is determined by the methods and circumstances in which you create a benevolent donation. If you provide a donation for a large sum of money when your financial future is uncertain, or you decide on stopping your morning rush to open the door for a handicapped person, even when you're late, you're making truly risky sacrifices. After all, you could go bankrupt or be late for the meeting, respectively, by making either of monetary or social polite gestures above. These trials are where not only your style is displayed, but your central integrity is tested. But regardless of the lessons we learn from our struggles, the most nourishing life lessons of experience are most potently didactic in times of peace. John Greenland Whittier wrote, Peace hath higher tests of manhood than battle ever knew. I just love that quote. Whittier recognized how incredibly poignant peace is for the cultivating of creativity and the liberation of the human spirit by displaying the potential of our existence. But aspirations for peace, misdirected passion, and sincerity in action can be misconstrued if not grounded in resolution. Peace, if you're unaware of its purpose and are just being peaceful for the sake of pacifism, can actually be turned against you for the purpose of war. Infamous Nazi Hermann Goering said, quote, People can always be brought to the bidding of leaders. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. End quote. We must ensure that we understand the purpose of our actions, especially when they have good intentions. So our passion and energy is not manipulated and redirected for another means. This is not suggesting to avoid practicing peace, passion, and sincerity of action, but to encourage awareness of where our efforts toward peace, passion, and sincerity are taken towards, take, have taken us towards their source. Am I desiring tranquility for survival, for pleasure, or for clarity? If you're trying to survive, some component of your life is drastically out of place. If you investigate for pleasure, you could be about to go for a fall from spurious motivation. Lucidity will leave you eternally tranquil in a variety of contexts by invoking the personal originality of your soul's clarity. Anything that is operated from a purely survival stance almost always 
resorts to the methods that only produce our most primitive natural tendencies. These tendencies are typically not creative, inspirational, nor liberating. Our survival tendencies are usually myopic, passive, and deceptively vacant because their sole purpose is the single role of producing adequate rations for survival. We instill survival methods into our work. This fine adjustment to our profession is understandable because, after all, we need to put food on the table, shelter over our heads, and thoughts into our minds. But if we had a year to professions in a vacantly occupied routine of obligation just to ensure our survival, we are passively causing a leak in our essence. Just like a minute hole in a floatable rubber boat that slowly deflates and causes the vessel to sink, pursuing your profession just for the means of survival will act as leakage in your empowerment and ultimately cause you to sink into drab, unbearable rigidity. By choosing to create a style that doesn't allow this type of submergence, you make the choice to validate your profession, lifestyle, personality, and successful initiative. One of the most organic forms of style was introduced to me during my first year in high school in the Pacific Ocean on the west coast of the United States in Santa Barbara, California on an 8-foot, 6-inch surfboard after being frustrated and not being able to find any specific surfing guidebooks, I soon realized the impossibility of such a non-existent item. Surfing has never been made into a how-to guidebook. The reason is simply because surfing, like life, is a playful experiential activity. More than a sport with rules and restrictions, surfing is all about simply diving, literally and figuratively, into the ocean, learning how it moves and swells and dances, and gradually getting to know surfers so that you would eventually pick up bit by bit, piece by piece, their talents, traits, and jargon. Writing a surfing manual would simply be a way to, would be way too straightforward and linear when surfing is an incredibly dynamic sport. It is about letting go of fear of these torrents of water pummeling you down, accepting the grace of the ocean, developing a relationship with the watery beast, and gliding on its incredibly powerful waves of gentle water. One could technically write a how-to book to on surfing where step-by-step -step instructions are given. One could describe how to paddle out after the big sets, do bottom turns and cutbacks off the lip. It is certainly possible. However, such a tome would sincerely defeat the purpose of surfing because you are supposed to get tossed around by the waves just as you are supposed to get tossed around by the sport. Other sports, soccer, basketball, baseball, swimming, and almost any other sport are very different from surfing. In almost all team sports, you have an organized group, a coach, set of plays, and restrictive guidelines on how to play a game. Most other sports are literally a physical athletic game with the goal of getting a ball into a net, puck into a goal, or touch down in an end zone. These sports in the biological sense, are not even considered play, because biologists define play as an event that has no or an ill-structured goal. Sports like swimming, cycling, and even golf are somewhat similar to surfing, 
because they are the independent sports. Tenets of running, cycling, and swimming are endurance, stamina, and motivation, to say a few. Along with golf, these sports have set of movements to make you more efficient, faster, stronger, or simply better. These sports usually have an instructor to teach you how to run faster, swing, to hit golf balls with more accuracy, or cycle with more finesse. Surfing is similar to these individual sports because you aren't part of a team, but rather than having time, place, or bearing, or time, place, or beating the next person being the subjective of the sport, surfing is nothing like any other activity. Golfing is actually, in terms of restrictions and goals, certainly not equipment, one of the most similar sports to surfing because it is an individual sport. It is more individual individually competitive than the other sports. By individual competitive, I mean you compete with yourself to get a lower score and not try to beat someone else's time or something. However, it doesn't even come with close resemblance to the artistic stylishly outlet and finesse that surfing requires. Additionally, surfing is the ultimate form of play, and authentic play doesn't have rules. Nachmanovich clarifies this distinction between play and games. He writes, Play is the free spirit of exploration. It is an attitude, a spirit, a way of doing things, whereas game is defined activity with rules of playing field and participants. End quote. The free, unbound nature of play makes it very different from a game which could be played for prestige to win instead of a fugue of play. Galumphing, the seemingly useless elaboration and ornamentation of activity, is profligate, excessive, exaggerated, uneconomical. We galumph when we hop instead of walk when we take the scenic route instead of the efficient one. Yet galumphing is characterized as one of those activities that characterizes higher life forms. It is an example of the ultimate play. The act of creating obstacles in our path to then overcome them is of supreme evolutionary value and an indication of an advanced species as well. To play is to free ourselves from arbitrary restrictions and expand our field of action, Nakhmanovich writes. Surfing has no rulebook because it is simply connected to glumphing, exploring the alive nature of play to the extreme of it being an actual art form. Surfing is more of an art form because your only competition is with the ocean. Like the artist who carves out ideas energetically expressing himself on a canvas, a surfer carves out maneuvers and energy energetically expresses himself on the liquid canvas of ocean swells and waves. The only teacher, coach, or set of rules you have as a guide is the ocean's currents and tides. You have to learn from its swells, tides, wave sets, breakpoints, and curves. Your only coach is the very water that propels you through the sport. Even with swimming, a somewhat related activity, you have a breathing pattern and set of structured movements taught to you by an instructor. Even though surfing is one of the most technical sports imaginable, with all types of detailed maneuvers needed to accomplish a basic turn, 
You do not receive a structured set of movements by an instructor as you do with swimming or golf. In addition to its incredible potential for artistic design and style, surfing is one of the most physically demanding sports. In large swells, paddling to the outside waves can feel like participating in a swim meet while getting pummeled by football players. However, it hosts very little injuries when compared to football or other team sports. The importance of just relying on the trial-by-error experimental, experimental method of surfing is that you, in this way, develop your own style. If you followed a how-to manual to surf, surfers' styles would be uniform and simply boring. Every surfer has a unique style because his talent would have been crafted by getting smashed by the ocean waves and learning how to cultivate a balance and tranquility with the ocean. Indeed, surfing is an incredible balance of rebellion and freedom. Surfing is all about developing your own individual set of rhythmic patterns, which is why there exists no manual. In such an absence, there exists no opportunity for cultivation. Cultivation is following a set of patterns to fit in without really contributing to the structure of the system. If running is the ultimate form of excellence, then surfing is the ultimate antagonist to cultivation. It is the supreme example of crafting your own style and creating a validated life. The real turn to take in your life is to understand the difficult and complex challenge of choosing to validate your life. Actually taking the steps to validate your life is of course difficult and complex, a changing process, but actually deciding to leave a validated life and living that existence is even more difficult. The reason is outside pressure. So many people don't lead a validated life and therefore there is this nearly omnipresent pressure to follow a path that is mediocre with ups and downs and stability rather than an extraordinarily fantastic existence. Almost everyone's concept of a profession is simply wrong. Most people believe that a profession should, take, should make money, support a family and pay the bills, and you should be pretty good at it and enjoy it. A profession should be the craft of your life's work where money is a small, minute step in the process of professionalism. And that professionalism isn't defined by a complex process of degrees and credentials, but rather by an illuminating manifestation of your spirit and activity. Real work is play. So many assume that work has to involve some boring, drab, mundane, repetitive tasks, but it doesn't. An enormous component of validating your life is understanding that most people lead a so-so life with a job that is boring, complacent, and may pay the bills, and then taking the step to acknowledge that your profession, your work, will be looked at with distaste, most likely even ridiculed for its immaturity. So many people assume that real work is mature, dry, and repetitive. This is simply the invalidated societal conception of work based on spurious notions and patterns. Real work, however, is actually dynamic, fun, and engaging. Work, I think, is an incredible misnomer because so many people's connotations with work is that it has to be something you'd rather not do, but must for the sake of making a living. 
That's why a validated person's concept of work changes entirely.